Well, let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we've got an interesting lesson here this evening uh, for the parables, so let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Uh, You're a God that uh, is one who is gracious enough to remind us of certain important things uh, that we sometimes ignore or miss, and uh, even a passage like this this evening, you're a God that is uh, warning individuals of uh, greater problems than just surface issues. And uh, we're thankful for those kind of challenges. So, Lord, this evening, help us to understand this. And uh, may our response be what uh, you would expect. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Luke 14. Luke 14. This is a... can't really say I've gone through this before. Um, This is a section that usually in the book of Luke, you go to 15, which has got the three parables of lost things. You go to Luke 16, which has got a parable about uh, covetousness. And then it's the story of the rich man Lazarus. And so you kind of miss this section. Uh, It is, uh, I call it the parables of the setup of meals. And uh, we'll talk about why it's a setup here uh, soon. But um, all of these parables have something to do. There's three of them in this chapter, and the whole story beforehand, the parables and the parable after have something to do with meals, feasts. Um, and they just kind of run together, and so uh, you get a lot of uh, food uh, setups and, and parties and f- feasts and the like that are um, a part of this parable setup. But uh, you look at this and uh, we have what I'm describing just simply as the meal setup, because it is a setup, okay? Uh, and it's a setup not just to, in the sense of plates and uh, forks and spoons, which they really didn't have back then, uh, but uh, it's a setup to try and trap the wool herd. You see in, in Mark 14, verse 1, it says this, and it came to pass... As he went into the house of uh, one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. And behold, you know, and I, I put this in here, and behold, oh, surprise, you know, this is, you know, kind of not really a surprise, but uh, Luke's playing along with this. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go and answered them saying, which of you shall have an ass or an ox uh, fall into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. What you have is that Jesus is invited to a Sabbath meal. Sabbath meal would have been a little less than what a normal feast or meal would be. You go, why? Because you weren't supposed to really work on the Sabbath day. So your meal prep would take place the day before. Uh, You wouldn't be cooking with fires and the like, and you would probably just have bread and some other fixings and things to dip your bread in. Uh, It would have been a very simple meal, but it was the meal right after the big gathering. Sort of like Sunday meal for us. Everyone goes out to eat or has a big meal typically uh, after the morning service. That's kind of what you have here. You would expect to get together and have food and, and this. And Jesus was invited to the Pharisee's house. So you have uh, this meal. At this meal, there was a man that would not normally be at one of these meals. 
Okay, that's the thing that's here. Uh, this man would not have been there uh, and been invited to eat a meal with a Pharisee. The man had the dropsy, which is a condition of fluid buildup due to failure of other parts of the body. It's a fluid buildup. So you have the swelling of joints, and sometimes, you know, it, 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 sometimes as you see some of these people, let's say, I think it was known as elephantitis or these type of things years ago, where you'd have misshapen arms and legs because of the fluid that just built up. And so this man was at this gathering, and people go, well, was he there just because or accidentally? And I, I would go with the fact, no, he wasn't. Um, he would have been poor and considered possibly unclean. Okay, that's the, the, the blank there. He would have been unclean. You know, some of these fluids and the like, you, you, that would then make him ceremonially unclean. And so the Pharisees really wouldn't want to get too close to him because they might, you know, touch him and then have to go through the rigmarole of uh, going through the process so that they could be clean. So a, a Pharisee typically would have nothing to do, A, with a poor person or a person that was sick. They just wouldn't do it. So for this man to be there, this is at a Pharisee's, a chief Pharisee's house, this is a setup. Okay, this is not an accident. What you have is that this is a setup catch Jesus to see if he would work on the Sabbath. Okay, that's what they're trying to catch him on. Would he do work on the Sabbath? The healing of an individual would be considered to be work. You know, doctors weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath day, and you're going, oh yeah, okay, sickness stops for the Sabbath day. But they had their rules they had made up in the sense that you could not work on the Sabbath day, and so healing somebody would be considered work. Now what you have, ironically, this event set Jesus up to teach three parables to this group of people. Jesus asked the Pharisees if it was right to heal on the Sabbath. Now, they remain silent. You go, why? Because they're going to incriminate themselves by either one of the answers they give. If they say, no, you can't heal a person uh, on the Sabbath day, you go, well, you like people being in misery. Well, no, so why do you do this? Well, because we have our rules and laws. Uh, if they say, yes, it's right to heal, then the Lord would go, okay, so why are you, you know, looking to accuse me? So Jesus did this on a regular basis. If he got himself in a difficult situation, he would ask a question. Because in answering the question, these people would incriminate themselves. And they know, well, if we say anything, so let's just keep silent. Lord immediately responds, heals this man, and then reprimanded them that they would rescue, and, and you have this as a blank, an animal. And they would agree that a human being was more than an animal. Though they did refer to Gentiles as dogs. But, uh, but they would you know, view them, okay, they are more than animals. The Jews allowed for this, and you have it not just in this location, but another passage where uh, he talks about the fact you would go on the Sabbath day if your animal fell into a pit. You would go down in there and you would work and struggle to get that animal back out because you don't want that animal to hurt themselves uh, because, and you know, he knows their mind, it would cost them valuable money to lose you know, that animal. So they're willing to, to make a, a, 
exception, I guess, uh, to this, uh, to get the animal out because it would uh, keep the, them from losing money. But when it came to a human being, nope, sorry. And he goes, is not a human being worth more? Now, they remain silent on this one because they don't want to answer that either. Because then they have to get rid of their regulation that they have uh, about the animals if they agree, well, animals are worth more. Well, okay, they, they get there. So the Lord traps them twice. They try and set up the Lord. The Lord sets them up with two questions. Then you have this, what I'm calling the setup of a meal. The meal setup is now going to be the topic of conversation, the room itself. What Jesus is going to do is that he's going to address two groups at the meal, the guests and the host. Uh, he had been watching, uh, they had been watching him to see what he would do. We have it there. It's stated that they were there watching him in verse number one. But what was revealed in, in verse number seven is that he is watching them. The watchers are being watched. And what he does is uh, this, that he had been watching uh, them at this meal. He would tell two parables to address two issues in which they were lacking. They were coming up short. So understand, two parables, he's addressing two different groups in that meal that are there sitting at that meal. So let's just read through this, start in verse 7. We'll go right down to the end, verse 14, and we'll pick this up. He put forth a parable to those that were bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, or we would say the chief seats, saying unto them, when thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room or the highest seat, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him can't come and say to thee, give this man place and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room or the furthest seat. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he bade thee come, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. For they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. What the Lord starts off with is, uh, verses 7 through 11, is a parable of humility. Okay, that's the thing they're lacking, and that's why he gives this parable, because they lack in humility. Jesus saw how these individuals jockeyed for seating at the meal. In Jewish culture, they sat at a horseshoe arrangement of tables, or we might say a U-shaped arrangement. You would have a table here, two tables down the side, and then going in, you'd have the place where people who were serving could get to the tables, 
At the top here, you would have the chief individual, and then on the right and left hand, you'd have the chief guests that were there, and then it would go down as you went down the horseshoe, and the further away you got, that uh, meant you were probably not as most, uh, or as a, a most honorable guest. This is the way it was done. They would recline to eat. I think about that sometime and go, you know, I don't know, reclining on the one arm and eating this, I, I've, you know, kind of hard to eat that way, uh, digestive system. But they did this. This is normal, normal culture. What he noticed was this, that guests, when they came in, would kind of scurry like a musical chair almost and try and get to the best seats and do this. And Jesus had observed this. He comes in there and watches them as they come in, and they're all trying to get further up the table to sit down and, and watching the, them play, you know, look around and see if they could sneak a little further up the table row and, and the like. At the top of the page, you see this. Jesus knew these men had problems with pride. Okay, the Pharisees, that was the major thing for them. And you have, on occasions, they love the chief seats in the synagogues and feasts. Okay, Matthew 23, where he has the, the woe statements about the Pharisees and the scribes, and, and it's the whole chapter about them. He, he says this, you enjoy the chief seats, you'd come in, and the first seat in the synagogue that you'd come in was what was sometimes known as the chief seat, or Moses' seat. Sometimes you had the seats that were directly behind where the readers were at because you sat in a, a, a rectangle-shaped room and you sat on the outside looking in at this podium that was there. Uh, and the seats that were closest to where it was read, those were sometimes the chief seats. So when the person's reading, you're close by, everyone sees you as the person's reading, ooh, wow, you know, they must be really, really official or something. Um, they enjoyed loud greetings in the marketplace. They enjoyed, as it was uh, said uh, in the um, Matthew 23, uh, they enjoyed, you know, the loud statements, rabbi, which literally meant this one, this, when you said rabbi, it was used for teachers, but my great one, you know, the great one, and they would be loudly said. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, you, you have uh, that they desired to be seen of men. Okay, Matthew 6, 2, 3, uh, excuse me, 2, 5, and 16 is the, the Lord teaching about how to do alms. You know, and some do it for a show, and he says, okay, they, they do it to be seen of men, they have their reward. Or when they pray, remember how the Pharisees pray, he's going to have a parable we're going to look at where he's got two individuals that pray. One's a publican, one's a Pharisee. And the Pharisee shows up on the corner of the street and prays really loud so everyone can hear him and goes, I'm thankful, Lord, that I am not like this tax collector over here you know, publicly placing himself on different levels. Um, and then you had uh, the other thing that they would do is when it came to fasting, they would uh, darken, they would, they would find some you know, ash and they'd put it underneath their eyes and this type of thing to let people know that they were fasting that day. So we're going to go, oh, wow, they're fasting. Oh, this is the second time this week I've seen that. You know, um, they, they had this issue that they had pride, and here's the, 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 the statement there at the end of that first paragraph. They esteemed themselves higher than they ought to have thought. They had themselves ranked way above what they should have been ranked at. You go, well, what's the ranking system? 
Well, Jesus played off a proverb that they would have heard in Proverbs 25, 6, and 7. And I want us to turn back there because they would have, they would have known what he was hinting at when he tells this parable because they would have heard it in proverbial form before. Proverbs 25. Get there. Yep, 25 verses 6 and 7. It says this. Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. For better it is to be said unto, Come up hither, than that thou shouldest be put lower in the, uh, in the presence of the prince whom I, thine eyes have seen. I mean, they would have heard this proverb before. It's better for you to do this, not look for the chief seats, and then all of a sudden get shamed because you're in the wrong location. Um, don't do this. You're taking the chief spots where you think you're supposed to be at, and, well, you get moved down the ladder, and that just kind of, you know, really messes things up. Now, <clears throat> we, we do have this today, and I, I give this as an illustration this morning. When you go to a wedding feast... Okay, after a wedding and you have a room and uh, set up or a banquet hall or whatever, you have seating arrangements at that feast. Okay, who's going to get the chief spots? Okay, the bride and groom, okay, without question. They'll be the center of wherever that's at. But then you usually have lined off to the sides, and, and we even use the name. We have the maid of honor okay so you know you line them up you know the maid of honor is usually right next to the bride and then you have the the groomsmen and you have the 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 bridegroom uh or yeah is that the proper title for him best man there we go uh i was forgetting the title there but he sits right next to where the groom's at and then you go down the line and then outside you usually have other tables that are close by that are reserved for typically family and I, I have seen occasions where you have uh, weddings and you have the arrangement, and usually people don't go sit right up, you know, they, they at least got enough common sense not to sit at the table that the bride and the groom are going to be at and that, usually, okay? But you always have the, the, the seating arrangements where they've got it all counted off for the family to be there, and uh, then they come to sit down, and there's somebody there that thinks they're you know, like family, and they're sitting there, and it's kind of like the ones who are like the mom and the dad are like, you know, okay, we'll go find someplace else to sit, because, you know, they don't want to just tell the person, you know, get out of the seat, but it's, everyone else is looking at this and going, you know, come on, don't you understand that there is a, you know, certain level of seating that goes on here, and, and this happens? Hey, we have this in our culture. We understand this. And it would be embarrassing to go, hey, could you move out of this seat? And, you know, well, now you've got to go way to the back of the room because everyone else is wanting to be close too and there's an empty table back there. You go sit down there, okay? Um, that's the kind of thing that we have going on here that the Lord is describing. Don't get yourself in a situation like this. Now, look at paragraph number three here when he says, okay, you choose a table or you choose a place that is away from the places of honor and you sit down there. 
And what the Lord is not asking for in that first line there, Jesus was not calling for false humility. The person comes in and, you know, the feast, everyone's up front, and he goes and finds the far corner seat and sits down. And then he looks around to see if anybody notices that they're there, and they're going, what are you doing over there? Oh, well, you know, didn't want to take anybody's place. And you go, so is that like a false brag, false humility? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll give you an illustration. I I gave this this morning um, also. Read a book a long time ago um, on George Washington. It was a lengthy one. It was one of these bigger ones that, you know, allows for discussion of, you know, processes and thoughts and whatever on George Washington. And so it was lengthy. But one of the discussions that stuck out in my mind was that George Washington, as most politicians and leaders are, have an ego. They have to, to be the leader that they're going to be of different things, and they have to have this. George Washington had a different way about getting his leadership position. He would never put himself up, and if he was asked directly, uh, do you want to be such and such, he would tell people, no. Don't want that. No, I won't, I won't take that position of being General of the Army, no. I, I will not take the president of the Constitution, no, no, I won't do that. But if someone volunteered him, hey, I think George Washington should be the president of the Constitutional Convention. Oh, well, okay, I think I can handle it now. Uh, you know, I, I said no, but that, and, and, and they, the person just went through, and they, time and time again, they showed this to be the case. He kind of had this, you know, false... You know, well, I, I really don't want it. But as soon as somebody said, hey, okay, you know, I, I nominate him. He's like, okay, yeah, I'm the man for the job. You know, um, that's, that's a false humility. That's a false front, okay? The Lord's not calling for that. Because what he wants is not just merely an outward showing of something. He wants what's going on in the heart to be right. See, the problem with the Pharisees was this. He was desiring for these men to have a right perception about themselves. Their own, and here's the the one blank, their own sinfulness, okay, their own sinfulness and their understanding of the greatness of God should have humbled their opinion of themselves. These ones who studied the scripture and did this uh, and had many of the portions of the scripture memorized should have come to the point where they recognized time and time again how short of the glory of God they made it. Now, the problem was is they would go, well, I'm shorter or coming up less short than others because I'm, but, but if they were really looking at their own heart and their own thoughts, they would be like, I, I keep coming up short. I'm way, way far from the standard of God. And at times, these people thought they were getting closer and closer to God because they were more and more holy like God, that they were so fantastic that they were almost like God. And what they were missing was, is you're no different than any other sinner here. Any other person walking the face of the globe, you're in the same standing before God as those individuals. They hadn't come to that conclusion that they weren't at a higher status level uh, than others because they had never thought about that. 
And so what the Lord is simply challenging these individuals with is something that he is going to challenge them in the next parable, okay? That they are going to reject the invitation of a king. This is what the nation of Israel is doing. They're rejecting this invitation from a king because they've got other things to do. That's not important to me. I I don't need that invitation. Uh, It's not for me. It really isn't all that important. Um, And it just comes down to the issue of pride. See, if a person never humbles themselves, God will never be able to exalt them. I'll put it this way. If you understand the salvation sense, if a person never humbles himself, God's never going to be able to save them. And this goes right along with what Jesus taught in an earlier parable when he was talking there where he came and he was eating with publicans and sinners, the tax collectors and the sinners. And the Pharisees were all upset by this, that he's eating with them. And he goes, well, those that need a physician, those are the ones I'm going to. Uh, Those that are righteous are not sick, are in in no need of a physician. He couldn't work with the Pharisees because they hadn't gotten to the conclusion yet that they were sick. The tax collectors, the sinners, (laughs) it's obviously them. They got problems. And they were willing to come to God through his son, and that was when God's able to take these individuals and lift them up and give them a position and standing for eternity, something the Pharisees did not have. So, what the Lord's dealing with is, okay, it's a petty issue of where you're going to sit you know, at the meal and trying to get you know, the seating in, but he's, he's, he's digging deep here and going, you've got to humble yourselves and not just false front kind of stuff. You need to do a work in your heart to see yourself for what you truly are. There needs to be a thought process in here that then is played out in the way that you deal with people. So that's the first parable. So he's dealing with all of the guests that he's there, that he saw them playing, you know, as we said, the musical chairs to, to get the best seat at this feast. So you get to the second parable, and we read through this, and what he has is a parable, and I'm going to say it this way, yeah, the parable of humility, but a parable of generosity. A parable of generosity. Jesus turns, and i got to turn back to Luke 14 here, uh, in verse number 11, or excuse me, verse number 12. Let me step back a second. Let me go back for, I think I've got this marked in, in my Bible here. Uh, verse number 10, it makes a statement uh, that when you are in the lowest seat and you're bade to come forward, friend, go up higher, then thou shalt have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. You ought to underline that word worship and just put off glory to the side of that. That word everywhere else is translated glory. Why they chose to put it this way, I don't know, but everywhere else it's the idea of glory. Okay, you'll have glory. You'll, you'll have, and we put it this way, you'll have honor. When something's glorious, you give it honor, you give it respect. Um, and so, you know, worship is kind of a weird term, and you're like, what do they mean by that? No, you're just going to have honor and respect, glory. Okay, so um, there's one thing to mark there. Going back to this uh, parable of generosity here, uh, Jesus addressed the host and others who hosted meals. What would happen is that these hosts would bring friends, relatives, and rich neighbors, recognizing that they would receive the same kind of treatment in return. They were, and here's the quotes, they were generous 
but it was expected to be paid back. I'm being so generous here, and uh, hey, you know, you'll invite me to the next party you have. That's exactly what's going on in their mind. You invite people who can give you stuff back. So you invite your relatives. You know, you hope you get to be a part of the big family gatherings that they have. Uh, and you invite your rich neighbors because you know if you are generous to them, and then you go to their place, and they are generous to you. And you know, you know, this is this is a. The, the generosity here of them taking care of a meal for a whole bunch of people was just basically a scam. Um, they would only invite, and they, you know, they would put out a, a lavish spread. Now, this one, not as lavish because it's Sabbath day, but they'd put out a lavish spread for people to enjoy, and people would go, wow, well, you know what? I owe them, so I'm going to invite them to my next party. But they really weren't generous because they were getting back what they, let me put it this way, they're, they're getting back what they invested. They're getting recompensed for what they put in. Jesus had taught them that there was nothing impressive about this kind of giving. I want to turn over here in Matthew chapter 5. You have the reference there, but Matthew 5 is the Sermon on the Mount, and it's the section where it says that you've heard in old times, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. This is what the Pharisees were teaching. It's okay for you to hate your enemies. Just love your neighbors. Verse 44, Jesus said, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Understand, those are people you're not going to get anything back from. But he goes further, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, he sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if we love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not the publicans, and I'm going to put this in, tax collectors do the same thing. Don't they take care of, you know, their friends? They do. Tax collectors watched out for each other. Um, you read that and you go, you, you show kindness and not expect anything in return. You show goodness and not expect anything in return. And what you'll be like is like your Father in heaven. Because your Father in heaven gives us stuff all the time and never gets paid back for it. Or we'll put it this way, it can't be paid back. All the things that God gives us, we can't pay it back. He's giving it to us and he's giving it away to people who can't give anything back. And so the Lord says, you need to start thinking like your heavenly Father. It's not to say, and the Lord's not saying here, don't have friends over. You know, never have a friend over again. Never have relatives over. I mean, that, that's not, you know, this is not what the Lord's saying. But he goes, you need to change your thinking about how you give things out. See, what you have in that second to last paragraph, Jesus challenged these men with true generosity that reflected the character of God. These hosts should desire to help those in real need, those who had no ability, that's the blank there, no ability to pay back. And they can't work because they're injured. They have no money because of uh, whatever may have happened in their life. God gives gifts all the time that cannot be paid back. And then this last paragraph, these Pharisees, 
that were reputed to be righteous in their society were self-centered, or you could put it this way, self-focused. Okay, that, that's how they live their life. It's not that they're a, a, the, the servants of society, they're servants of themselves. They enjoy all the things that they can do. They needed their attention turned outward, okay? That's, that's the, 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 the thing the Lord's getting at here. You need to turn your attention outward. They were inward focused. Look around you. See what's really out there that are the real ones in need, that are in ones that are in real need of help. Those individuals who reflected God's character in giving may not be rewarded in this life, but in the resurrection, okay, that's the blank, they would be truly rewarded by God himself. Now, this is a side note. Luke spends a lot of time, especially in the book of Acts, talking about the fact that the Pharisees believe in the resurrection. They believe in the resurrection, both of the just and the unjust. They, they had it accurate, because we know from the end of time, and you read the book of Revelation, it's very clear that you have people who rise to life eternal, and you have people who rise to eternal judgment in the lake of fire. Uh, everyone has their body back. They have a resurrection body. But in this case, what he's saying is not the resurrection of the people who are unjust, unsaved, are they going to be rewarded. But here you have an individual who's reflecting the character of God, who's given them a righteousness that's his. And they reflect that character of God. They may receive nothing back for the generosity they have in this life, but you're going to be rewarded in heaven someday. Now, this was what we, we, we talked about this a little bit this morning. Is it... Is it right to talk about rewards in heaven? Is, is, should this be incentive? Yes. I mean, you might go, well, that's selfish. Okay, I understand that. But, but you give people, even in this life, incentive to challenge them. You know, I, I remember years ago they, uh, in the school they would have the, uh, the reading challenge. And the reading challenge was to get kids to read books so they would get what? A personal pan pizza. And I can tell you how many times we went and got our personal pan pizza. Uh, and uh, anybody that's been through the school here knows that, that, that whole process of getting the free pizza and it was, a, you know, them getting you to come in to buy a full-size pizza. Um, it was a, yeah, a racket. Um, but anyhow, but it was incentive for the kid to do something that was good, reading. So does God does put up the fact at times where he says there are certain crowns for certain things, there are certain rewards for doing certain things. But I, I don't want us to think about it in a purely materialistic sense. Because in this life, if you're getting rewarded, what's the best reward you can get? I just, you know, if you're in a competition, what's the best reward you can get? A gold medal. All right, well, <clears throat> in heaven, you're going to be walking all over those gold medals. Okay, so that, that means there's something more in heaven that we really aren't going to grasp. And I think what the reward is for most of us is just going to be, I don't deserve this, 
God is giving me so much to be here in this new heaven and new earth here and enjoy it for all of eternity without any of the flaws, and I get to be here. You know, people aren't going to be going around heaven and go, ha, huh, you know, I got four crowns, you only got three. You know, ha, <laughs> no, you know, I got more words than you did. No, none of that's going to be going on because all of us are going to be humbled by the fact of, I didn't deserve any of this. But what the Lord is getting at is hopefully in this life you reflected his character to people who don't see him, ignore him, but they at least see the generosity of a God displayed in your life um, that they see these things and maybe consider that this God in heaven that they may despise may actually be better than what they have assumed through all of that time. And so for these Pharisees, they're challenged with their, uh, their, their perspective on generosity. Are you being generous, truly like your God? You say you know him, you know him better than everybody else, but are you reflecting that in the fact of how you even invite your guests? Are you inviting people that you're not expecting to get an invitation back from them, but they would probably give you a hearty thank you for just being there at the feast like this. So you go through this, these are the two core issues that these individuals need, is an understanding of what their God's like, how short they come up with it. So the humility, but then if they want to reflect what God's like, reflect it in the fact that he's very generous. And uh, this is uh, two core issues that we all struggle with. You know, we look at the Pharisees and go, ha, yeah, I know, you know, I'm better than they are. Okay, great, you got the ranking system again. You know, I'm better than so-and-so. No. We've all struggled with this. We all want to be seen. We all want to be known. We all want to get something back in this life. And the fact is, is we sometimes need to just remind ourselves that if we hadn't humbled ourselves, we hadn't gotten to that point, we would never be saved. God wouldn't have given us the gift that we didn't deserve, that we can't ever pay back, um, and that we need to reflect that humility in all that we do reflect the Savior who was the most humble of individuals, who humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even a, a cross kind of death. And so uh, this is a, a real challenge for these Pharisees, but I would say it's a challenge for us also to be humble, but to also be generous with what we have. Realize this, you cannot take it with you. It's going to go to somebody anyhow, so why don't you have the joy of blessing somebody when you can see it rather than until you die and then everyone's blessed by the fact that you died, sort of like Scrooge when he died off and everyone was happy. Uh, don't, don't live life like that. So, Anyhow, any questions, thoughts on this? Didn't get too many this morning, so if you in the evening, it's usually a little less questions, but you know, but we didn't have many questions this morning. Yeah. Did you get the last two? <gasps> oh, uh, outward. Turned outward so that they did that, and then um, rewarded not in this life, but in the resurrection, they would be truly rewarded by God Himself. I mean, isn't that enough reward when you think about it? We were resurrected. You get a body that's not like the one you have here. It actually works. That's fantastic. So, yes? I was just curious. On the, on the first page, the setup of the 
Uh, 7, 7 through 14. So that was, it goes to verse 14. But is it 7 or maybe Oh, you know what? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I did that throughout. It's 14, 7 through 14, 14, 7 through 11, and then 14, yeah. So, yeah. Now I know. I'll fix it before it goes into my file for generation before I look at it again. Um, yeah, no, it's 14, so, yeah. Thank you.